Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hackable You podcast. Apologies for the slight delay in getting some out. We've been busy, but we are back. My name is Ed. I'm your host and I'm joined as always by my two esteemed colleagues and co-hosts, Alex and Will. Good evening, guys. How are we doing this week? Are we enjoying the freezing cold winter nights and mornings of the UK currently? More importantly, have you got your Christmas tree up just yet or not? Oh, yeah. yeah? The tree's up. The advent calendar was open today. It's the 1st of nice. December. I'm well Very happy. good. Yeah. Also, got your scarves out. got the snoods at the ready and all that sort of jazz. It's actually freezing. Please tell me you don't actually. No, but I want to. I want to buy one because it can act as a two-in-one. It keeps you warm and it's a face covering for the fucking COVID shit. So you're sorted. When was your uh, When was your Christmas due, Alex? Mm-mm, earlier on today. So. <laughs> 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 don't know if it's good that yeah. You know, maybe like, I should probably still be there, but hey, I had a few. Having a good time. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. Will your Christmas tree's got me up, right? Uh, no, we don't tend to bother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you are you not bah a celebrator? You're not a celebrator. This can't. I I can't be asked. Basically, um, my wife sort of can't be asked either. Being brutally honest, um, I ain't got any kids or anything, so there's no sort of you know reason to do it. Basically, well, two peas in a um, pod. Then, yeah. So two, we don't tend two to Grinches. Um, we've got our uh, two Grinches in a pod. <laughs> we've got our um, well. We've got a winter gear, but we've always got winter gear because we normally go to Estonia a lot. So um, you always need something warm for Estonia. So I thought you said winter kid, like you've borrowed a kid for the winter and it's just oh, yeah. yours to just roll him, <laughs> just roll him out of the old cupboard for just a bit different, isn't it? Just crack him out for winter. <laughs> oh my god, god what? where this is this has gone somewhere different? Anyway, <laughs> just bring this back on topic. I'm glad Christmas is coming. The advent has started. And the countdown begins to a well-earned Christmas break for all of us working in the information and cybersecurity space. Well, that being said, it's about time we jump into the news. Um, we hope you like the format we did last time. We're going to kind of follow basically the same thing. We've got a few news articles to talk about. And then we'll jump into some rough topic of the week stuff and lead into our exclusive segment, Secrets from the Sock. So with that being said, let's roll the news credits. Cool. Well, first up looks a phishing campaign which used a clever cross-site scripting vulnerability to distribute malware. Now, looking at the Bleeping Computer article that we shared in the WhatsApp group when we were discussing the podcast here, it, the kind of headline or the, or the brief says that a clever UPS phishing campaign, so UPS the shipping uh, or um, like postage company rather than unique power supply, um, published a phishing campaign that utilized a cross-site scripting vulnerability in ups.com to push a fake and malicious invoice word document the phishing scam was first discovered by a security researcher and pretended to be an email from ups that a package had had an exception and needs to be picked up by the customer alex you bung this into the chat this morning what did you make of this one? You thought it was quite aptly timed or an interesting one anyway. I thought it was quite interesting because I have had first-hand experience of this type of attack. And I think it's really, really good. I think it's good because it hits you where you least expect it. Because from your user's point of view, they're clicking on a link that just says UPS. So 
if you look at the standard awareness campaigns, they are telling you not to click any links that look dodgy. Don't click on unsolicited links. Don't click on dodgy links. But what they're not necessarily saying is don't click on links in, in, in general or, or, or look more into links or, or report things that are suspicious because this type of phishing works so well because the first part of the URL is your company's domain. So, you know, in this case, it was UPS and the malicious part of the URL was hidden way, way in. And there was some base 64 encoded string that actually when you decoded it, it said something like, this is just to make the string longer. So it hides the malicious payload. I thought it was yeah, really, 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 really funny. I'm reading that here. It says, I just need to make this URL four letters longer to hide next query param. You already know why. Yeah, and it, and it was literally, <laughs> and the reason is because it was pulling down a malicious payload. So the reason this works so well is that the first part of it was UPS, and to your standard user, I won't click on any links that are outside my organization. So if the if the link looks like it says UPS, I'll click on it. So really, you know really what? effective. The funny thing is, like over the last few years, the cross-site scripting. Uh, vulnerability within the OWASP top 10, I think has slipped down a few. It used to be really high up there, like injection, cross-site scripting, broken authentication. I say that again, you can check where it is on the OWASP <laughs> top 10 now, one of you can do that whilst I'm talking. But um, uh, it just goes to show how, how important this is. I think you, you really called it out there. It's that, you know, it uses the vulnerability in a known and trusted website. Like all of the education we teach, all of the policies, procedures we put in place as an organization to prove authenticity of our websites has kind of gone out the window here because they've been able to exploit a vulnerability within that page and use it to distribute malware more so you know when you when you look at the the simplicity of this cross-site scripting attack it literally just forces the user to download a file from a from an external location like there's nothing more it's so um, simple it's so simple you right? if you you, you deobfuscate the code you, you decode the base 64 like very very simple base 64 and you can see it's literally that url pointing to an external destination so it's a bit like a double whammy on both like the end user so the end user gets the email and they say oh that's fine it's ups uh, and, and even if they report it to the SOC team the SOC team during the analysis oh you know it's ups like from that point of view is unless you know uh, to dig a bit deeper and you know SOC teams will know to dig deeper but the end user is going to think that's UPS it's absolutely fine um, and that's the thing with cross-site scripting people have come to sort of think oh you know what it's absolutely fine because it needs user interaction it, it needs someone to do something and therefore it's low priority well no because the user will click on it if they think it's safe the real shame is that uh, firstly this article I think is a really well written article because it goes into just the right level of technical information you can probably ingest quite quickly as a as like an operations person to go and deal with but it's sad that the the url the domain that's called out to from the malicious word doc that's downloaded isn't active anymore so it's not like we could see whether this was like a ransomware dropper um or something like that looking at the way that that base 64 thing uh, uh, string was encoded and the messaging behind that it doesn't scream to me like a really um a severe or nasty style attack like this could quite easily be distributing all sorts of the next best ransomware from the next best ransomware as a service campaign so maybe maybe ups got a little bit lucky here because if they were the kind of catalyst for a christmas present parcel delivery vector that, that, that gets people having ransomware installed in their machines it could have ended up a lot lot worse well, look, it's targeting um, external people, right? As soon as they start, if they change that vector a little bit and target internal employees, it gets worse. <clears throat> On the OWASP top 10, if you're interested, uh, is the 2021 version is out, obviously, now. 
um, and they've kind of changed it up quite a lot. So there's so some of the categories from 2017 they've now kind of uh, put them all under one title. So you, before you know you had like injection, broken authentication, uh, cross-site scripting separately. They now kind of uh, bundle up cross-site scripting into the injection category, uh, which I guess makes sense. Um, yeah. So it's third. It, it was. Uh, it was seventh in in twenty seventeen. It's now third, although under the under the kind of high level category of injection. So that's interesting. We must make a note to do a bit more of a deeper dive, maybe in the next podcast episode on the OWASP top ten and and the changes, because it still becomes one of the the pivotal. Reference points to you know securing web applications APIs that sit there out on the internet. It's probably the biggest change I've seen in the last couple, two or three iterations of it. Uh, there's a lot of new terminology and a lot of way of new categorizations and stuff. So it's definitely, I think you're right. I think it's probably us, you know, worth us going over it perhaps in the future. And equally, some of it has just been reworded. Like there's there's some there's yeah. there are, there are yeah. some things that have just changed the words up. But you're right. <laughs> well, next up is all about GoDaddy. GoDaddy are a domain hosting provider. Uh, most people know them because you can go and buy your own domain, www.com sort of thing from there. They've been hit by a pretty bad data breach. So they recently disclosed a data breach affecting roughly 1.2 million customers um, and also hit many managed WordPress services resellers. According to a VP of communications at GoDaddy, the six resellers also impacted by this massive data breach are listed as TSO Host, Media Temple, 123 Reg, who are a big one in the UK, Domain Factory, Heart Internet, and Host Europe. The data breach was discovered by GoDaddy last Wednesday on November the 17th, but as a separately revealed on a Monday filing to the US Securities and Exchange Committee, the customer's data was exposed since last September after unknown threat actors had accessed the company's managed WordPress hosting environments. A quote from GoDaddy says, our investigation is ongoing. We have determined that on or on or about September the 6th, 2021, an unauthorized third party gained access to certain authentication information for administrative services, specifically your customer number and email address associated with your account, your WordPress admin logon set at inception and your SFTP and database usernames and passwords. I mean, guys, that's a pretty big breach. GoDaddy constantly come under fire in the security space for being a little bit rogue's not the word, but you know, whenever I've seen a GoDaddy domain registered before, it often pops up in some form of phishing campaign. They've been victim of breaches before. What do you make of this one? So you mentioned about SFTP, but there's also mentioned in there about um, them getting access to uh, database credentials and uh, SSL private keys. You just think, Christ, like that's not like some, you know, that's not someone who's got access to, you know, a fringe system, is it? That's some really deep system that that, that they've got access to to get things like SSL private keys and stuff like that. I mean, how badly has that gone wrong? Yeah, or how poor is their security posture? Because what it screams to me, if you're able to get that sort of data, is how you segment it, right? Like you should not be keeping SFTP passwords, database account passwords, and private keys in the same place or even in you know touchable environments or places where you can simply laterally move to without some form of complexity or defense in depth in the way so yeah it just 
just doesn't sit right with me that it's just another blow for for go for GoDaddy. Even in the article, like one of the headlines states that it's not the first rodeo, and it's not the first data breach or cybersecurity incident that the web hosting giants has disclosed in recent years. Another breach was revealed last year in May when GoDaddy alerted customers that hackers had used their web hosting account credentials to connect to their hosting accounts via SSH. Things. I mean, it's just you know being a being a web hosting you know giant. It's just you think. You really, you just can't afford to, to fuck around, can you? It's such a big target, aren't you? That's the thing. Yeah. That sort of supply chain attack that we talk about is if you hit a web host provider, you're going to hit all their customers also. It's just like, you're always going to be a target. And Ed, you called out that it's not the first time it's happened. It's not It's not the second or third time it's happened. This is probably one of the, like, I think it's the fourth time it's happened in the, in, in the past yeah. few years. Like, it, it, I think if you... Yeah, I think really. if you average it out, it's like one once a year something like this happens, and you know, be that good, be that a good or a bad set of stats, I have no idea. But ultimately, it's data being leaked each time, it's vulnerabilities being exploited each time. Not ideal. You know, in the really early stages of the internet or the or the dot com era, everyone was buying a domain because it was the cool thing to do and having a website. People like GoDaddy, Namecheap, and other domain registrars and hosting providers were seen as really the tech giants of the time you know, key, key people uh, or organizations that attackers would go after. And that's kind of shifted, I think, now over to the cloud hosting providers or the public cloud hosting providers like AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, sort of things. It just makes you wonder, like, if an attacker was to have such success in one of those tech giants or those cloud service providers, the damage that could be caused or the data that could be stolen would be, you know, astronomical. So, Maybe with the likes of these giants kind of overtaking the market and, and overtaking the way you host these things, people like GoDaddy have kind of fallen to the wayside and maybe they're not taking security as seriously or they're not kind of modernizing as quickly. You'd like to think that that's not the case, but I don't know. It makes me worry about what we're doing within the public cloud, how important it is to secure those and segment your networks properly within the cloud and everything like that. But also, like, is it worth even using these domain registrar hosting providers probably not i mean this is the trouble go go have got now isn't it is that you know that again like you say this isn't their first radio from this point of view and a lot of customers when they're looking for their you know for their hosting you know um companies to use you know it's a fairly competitive field web hosting you know you're up against like you say Ed, you know you're up against some big giants google cloud you know um, google cloud amazon etc you know and you you, re- you really don't need this sort of you know negative uh you know uh don't need these negative vibes don't, don't, need this ne- <laughs> just don't need this negativity in your life do you but but that's a, but the reality is is you know if if there's any you know large you know, medium to large organisations out there, are they honestly going to pick GoDaddy now, knowing all of this, that, you know, given their history and stuff like that? I don't know. Probably not. I think they're going to have a... To, to GoDaddy, yes, there's going to be, you know, potentially some sort of, you know, uh, fine to this or whatever, but actually, I think the, um, you know, the, the reputational hit is almost worse than the actual any fines they're going to get because, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, you had, you had one job, GoDaddy, just... You know, keep my website safe. <laughs> you couldn't do that. <laughs> and they didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Happy. look, there's always a use case for organizations like this, small to medium businesses, your local chippy carpenter, plumber, whatever, might just have a simple website with a contact form on. And absolutely, 
solutions provided by the likes of GoDaddy do provide you know a good option. However, with the lens that we have and the kind of enterprise and organizational security figures we have, I, I agree with you, Will. I really don't think that they are a viable option for anyone trying to run a, a scaled operation or, or, or serve. Moving swiftly on to the next one is all about Tesla. Mildly not cyber related, but like with most things, we can probably give it a bit of a, a twist and a shift. So, Alex, do you want to... Um, do you want to just explain what the deal with, with Tesla was in the last few weeks? In an absolute nutshell, I, I believe Tesla had this functionality where you could unlock your car from your app or from your phone, something pointless like that. And, then, and, so, and, and, and lo and behold, when you enable something like that, if your servers go down, you can't access your car. Uh, I think that's the long and the short of it, but... Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that's it. So you're starting at around 4 p.m. Eastern standard time on the 19th of november 2021 tesla owners took to social media to report that in the tesla app it was returning a 500 server error when attempting to communicate with the car so that can be the likes of unlocking the car turning the heat and up opening and closing the windows etc 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 so the outage prevents owners from using the app to get into the car but also reported an incorrect location of the car the best thing I found from this is obviously people flood to Twitter to kind of report it, probably tagging, or we know, tagging in Elon Musk himself. And rather than the kind of standard status messages that come out saying, you know, hello, we're aware of a problem. One word tweet, checking, dot, 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 from Elon Musk. You just think, <laughs> I don't know, I, I kind of like that, right? Like the CEO's got it, he's listened, he's heard, and he's doing his job. And you just know whoever, after he sent that tweet, whoever he's picked up the phone to probably got a bloody earful. <laughs> It does make you wonder, though. Like I know that in the recent years, uh, pen-testing firm Pentest Partners literally got a Tesla and took it apart. Uh, Black Cat and Defcon, they've, or Defcon rather, they've got Car Hacking Village. There's often a Tesla parked in, in a hotel somewhere that people are trying to hack to pieces. And they have been able to do things like shut the windows, lock the doors, turn the heating all the way up. This connected car city, connected car environment, does have these concerns that although nothing has come out about this being a security incident, I'm sure... If it was that, we would know about it and worse things could happen. It does make you think about, are you ready to jump into that kind of connected car market yet? Do you, do you trust it? Are you worried? Are there, are there kind of safeguarding values you want to question here? That's all a pile of shit. Like bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. You bring it to the CIA triad, right? Availability. There you go. It is, it is loosely related to cybersecurity because availability is very important. If you have a service that you can only access through a connected way and then suddenly you can't access it that's your own fault like especially something like a car like if you if you are putting all your eggs in that basket and then suddenly that basket is unusable anymore that's that's sort of on you as well but arguably though right you talk about availability business continuity planning well hey like there, there will still be a key like you can still get in it's just the functionality using it in the app i think that you know ultimately we have to move for the future eventually. Tesla are right on the forefront of doing that. There will be a time, probably in our lifetime, where you don't need to worry about these availability issues and everything will be controlled by some form of IP-connected IoT thing. Um, so, you know, right now, yeah, I agree. It's probably a bit more of a luxury. You don't really need it. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a nice to have. But you do, it does make you think, like, sit here in, in 20, 30 years' time when this is the only way of doing it. Will you still have the same view that it's a pile of shit? 
Yeah, of course. It, be, it, 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 it will be an even bigger pile of shit when it's the only way of doing it. It's, it's even worse. It's a single point of failure. A key thing here is about how we protect our passwords. So what I wanted to talk about this week in Topic of the Week is looking at how we, how we keep secret sensitive information secure in terms of our passwords, our cryptographic keys or API keys for systems, services and tools that we use. More often than not, attackers are logging into networks, gaining access to certain uh, storage buckets via stolen service keys, credentials or whatever. It's not unheard of that access keys are forgotten about, left in locations that could be exposed to a threat actor via malware or uh, any other form of, of phishing attack. And with access to these keys, they can often wreak havoc. Keys don't get rotated as they should do therefore it's a pretty common thing to see nowadays that someone's been able to access your system because they've stolen the keys to get in i just wanted to pick your brains guys on on, on what do we do around how we protect this information we've, we've heard of password managers great but what do we do about other things like our api keys and our cryptographic keys do you think there's solutions for that how do you go, go about doing it don't post them on github yeah yeah, I've seen that before. God, that's shocking. Isn't it's, it? Well, it's, it's what it is, and it's quite, uh, you know, quite common. If you if you go around looking on GitHub for long enough, it won't take you long to find all sorts of API <laughs> keys and stuff like that. Isn't it? You know, the, uh, I saw a weird statistic the other day, and it was that if you um, have an expose instance or an expose API key, you're on an average only 25 minutes away from that being popped. You know, threat actors are scanning, like you said, GitHub for... Uh, like regex strings of what looks like a, an access key to AWS or whatever, and then they're using it. They're using it to do whatever they want within your environment. I mean, you think about it, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a new, I don't know, you're a new developer, and you're working on a piece of code. You know, you've got your VS code running. You you open up some new some new code that you your team's been working on, but you you know don't have the git dot ignore in your VS code. All of a sudden, you know. You, some people's VS codes automatically, you know, push your stuff, and there's there's a lot that can go wrong with things like GitHub, with, with things being pushed to GitHub without either you wanting to or or without you knowing about it. Maybe you should know about it. But. I think I think that's one of the top three things I can talk we can talk about when it comes to those the problems we find with things like access keys and passwords. Ones are you know inadvertently exposing that information. So we talk about you know uploading keys or passwords within repositories online simple things as leaving passwords keys stored within the code itself it's not just that you might have something in your git ignore file you actually might hard code credentials into your software which is just a big no-no i also think simple things like storing notepads with lists of passwords on your desktop like really simple stuff like that is just so used today um but and even like people would don't think about is that lots of people use hidden directories and you think that if it's hidden from i someone's not going to find it so if you don't know what a hidden directory is often it starts with a, a full stop and then the kind of directory name and then it doesn't show up when you traverse the file explorer normally you have to kind of ask to be shown hidden files and people often store sensitive information there and and albeit you are kind of security through obscurity Which is not not it's really not, security <laughs> it's not really security right and, and it's it's about really asking yourself this question or you know for passwords you should be using a password manager we've mentioned this before in the podcast i can't advocate them enough i use one password personally LastPass is another you know one that's pretty used heavily across the world 
These are great for storing your passwords, but don't neglect things like SSH keys, uh, certificate uh, keys, whatever they might be, because these stuff is really, really, really important. So you can use some of these tools like uh, password managers to store them. But one of the things I really wanted to kind of talk to you on or touch upon today is actually like the reason for using them. Because if you think about I mean, most cloud services now anyway, with the likes of service accounts, there really is no need for you to have that stored anywhere. Like if you set up your application properly and you give it a service account, an application account to do a job with the relevant IAM permissions, you shouldn't need to know what that service account key is. You shouldn't be using it. Your application should be using it. It should all be stored within uh, the correct fashion. So, you know, do you really think there's a necessity these days to be storing these things locally on your machines or sharing them out? So what you just point what you what you just pointed out there is the key thing. But so then my question is who? Key. Maybe. Oh God. Moving on from that terrible, terrible joke. Who is telling? The developers and the people that are using these who who is informing these people of, of, of the things they're bringing up here we spend so much time talking to our end users about good passwords and good password hygiene but who's talking to our devs about how to do um key management properly and how to not store api keys uh, in, in a terrible way you know we've obviously got loads of like secure code development staff we've got uh, things like sneak out there they do like code scanning and whatever else they do but who's actually spending the time snook sneak uh, <laughs> snook <laughs> we're not sponsored I'm by sneak I am seeing more, I think, more kind of focus on that, you know, about... That's good. That's what it needs to be. About, um, about mm. educating the developers almost as much as you would do, you know, you know general education for the rest of the teams. I think yeah. it's... I, I think I... Well, personally, I've seen, I am seeing it more, or at least conversations starting about it, but it feels very early stages for most places, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, if you are working in those cloud environments, do make use of things like secrets managers or what they use to uh, hide all sorts of things it doesn't just have to be passwords or cryptographic keys it can be environment variables whatever it might be you can you can hide them in in, in specific ways don't store them on your <laughs> laptop don't use security to obscurity by calling it an, an odd file name or using hidden files and and definitely don't be hard coding things into your repositories or code they're the key things i would take away anyway with that being said that wraps up the podcast for this week we've just got We've just got time to jump into our key takeaways of the week. So, guys, hit me what you're going to leave our listeners with this week. Don't take anything at face value. So if a URL says ups.com, look at the rest of the URL. Is anything funny going on there? Is anything obfuscated? Is anything encoded? Uh, don't just trust the first part of the URL. I'll go with around what we literally just spoke about around the developers. So I'd say if you're in a security team uh, and you have a development team, what do you know about them? Uh, if you know nothing, introduce yourselves, engage with them, start the conversations. You'll learn things which will be good, um, and they'll learn things which will make your life easier as well. And I'm going to leave you with, if you just so happen to have something that is IP-enabled or works on IoT, likely Tesla car thing, ask yourself the question. Firstly, do you really need it? Secondly, how could it be compromised and what impact would it have on your life or your operation? And can you put a relevant security control around that? Well, we'd like to thank you for listening. We hope you all have a good rest of the week, month, year, whatever <laughs> uh, time frame you're listening to this in. <laughs> and we will catch you all in the next episode. Bye.